continuing our Advent series a little late. So for those of you who are visiting, uh, we, we unfortunately got uh, kicked out of, sort of had to be removed from this building for one week on, on account of snow. And so uh, we pushed all of our Advent stuff one week. And so we get a, a sort of extra Christmas sermon uh, if, you're, if you're here uh, visiting. Uh, this is our final week of Advent. Um, and we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 2, 8 through 20. We've been looking at the announcements of the angels. We looked at the announcement of the angel to um, Zechariah and Elizabeth and the announcement of the angel to Mary. And then we took a little look at the announcement of Luke uh, about the birth of Jesus. And now we're looking at the announcement of the angel and the angels uh, uh, to the shepherds. So Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 20, the final angelic announcement in this narrative. Printed for you in your bulletins, or you can follow along in your Bibles. Luke 2, 8 to 20, or 21. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I ask for your help. Lord, reveal to us the glory of the one and only. Show us Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. So it's an interesting thing to observe, which you've probably all done over the course of years. uh, Gift giving, familial exchange of giving gifts. And it would be really fun if I was a fly on the wall, unnoticed at somebody's house, and I could observe all the goings-on imaginations of gift giving giving, um, and the responses of those receiving the gifts. Kids, you're easy to read. You're easy to read. You know, they're generally without guile, and you know immediately what they think of the gift. If it's the very thing that they wanted and asked for, they, they might even jump up and down and exclaim or run over to you and hug you. And then they go on and they proceed to show it off, right? Like to everybody and everything. And Uh, even interrupting the rest of the gift-giving that's going on. But if it's something they're less interested in, they might look at it for a moment, smile politely, 
And if trained well, <clears throat> say thank you. Sometimes prodded, but you know how it goes. And of course, everybody responds differently to gifts. It's kind of based on your personality to a degree. Um, some are more reserved than others. But there are always levels, right? Degrees of excitement, degrees of these things. Occasionally, just occasionally, someone will get a gift, a really odd gift, kind of like the proverbial ugly sweater that is now part of our cultural stuff, but that proverbial ugly sweater, we'll just go with it, from Great Aunt Irma, which might be examined for a moment. Huh, interesting. But then it's quickly set aside, and it's forgotten, and it's put in a drawer. Maybe it's only, it's probably never worn. Maybe it's brought up on occasion in conversation as part of uh, family lore. Or if Great Aunt Irma comes back to visit, you'll put it on. Or if you're going to that ugly sweater office party, you might wear it. How did, I, how did that ever become a thing? I'm serious. Like, I don't get it. But that's aside. But you all understand what I'm talking about. Enthusiasm over a received gift varies in degrees. No matter how hard we try to hide our uh, disappointment or temper our excitement. I mean, either way, there's always varying degrees. But kids, there's not many of you here, so I'm just pointing at my family now, which is very strange. Kids, why do we give gifts at Christmas? Just say it. It's fine. Anybody? Go ahead. Say it. Yeah, Jesus was God's gift to us. This is like the, the most basic reality of our Christmas story. Why we give gifts? Because Jesus was the great gift who was sent, who came to die for our sins. It is far and away the greatest gift ever given. And the question that kind of hovers over the season, this time of year... And the question that hovers over our text is, how do we respond to this gift? How do we respond to it? And there are many responses that we see in the text. Many varying responses. And we'll look at each of them in turn. But my hope is, my goal is that we might see Jesus as the greatest treasure of all. This is probably... Christmas Sermon 101. I don't care. It's the most important thing. He is the greatest treasure of all. So let's look at each of these responses. And here are the various responses. There's a response of fear at the beginning. There's a response of inquiry. They go and they seek and they try to understand. They're sent to go to this baby. Then there's a response of going and sharing and going and telling. Um, then there's a response by the people they tell of wonder and amazement. And then there's a response by Mary of treasure and pondering. And then there's the response of worship. As they return, the shepherds return, praising and glorifying God. So we'll look at each of those and think about this great treasure. So first, the response of fear. There are a couple themes that run throughout the Gospels and the birth narrative in particular. One of those themes is the theme of darkness and light. 
We read some of the Old Testament scriptures to that extent. Um, In the Gospel of John, it's a very prominent theme. Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And during the prologue, um, he's described as the light that enters the world and into the darkness. But it's here in the Gospel of Luke as well. Uh, We're introduced to this theme with, with Zechariah. Remember, Zechariah was muted, but when he finally opened his mouth, he made a prophetic utterance. Uh, about his son, uh, John, and he said this, And you, child, this is chapter 1, uh, verse 76 to 79, and you, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, that is John, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The sunrise. If you have, if you know this, this is a trivia question for all of you afterward. In what carol does this word sunrise, and John Kinsky's not allowed to answer. Oh no, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. So this is for everybody. What carol does this term of Jesus, sunrise, appear? Okay. So that, keep that don't think about it anymore, but um, uh, just recognize that Zechariah speaks of the sunrise from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. And here it is in our text as well. We are told that the shepherds were watching their flocks by night. They were in darkness. And in that moment of darkness, them sitting out there with you know, their sheep and just probably resting, in that moment, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. In other words, the darkness was pierced with the light of heaven. Anyone who has ever had a bright light turned on after being in utter darkness knows how startling and blinding it can be. I'm going to make a confession. Heather... I woke my youngest daughter up last night. I was, forgot she was asleep in my bed, and I went up to get something out of the room, and I turned on the overhead light. <laughs> my wife looks at me as a confession. And Heather sits up in bed and is startled, and is like, turn off the light. She just was very, very upset and ended up staying awake most of the rest of the night. Um, imagine what it was like For those shepherds, when the glory of heaven broke into the world. And we don't really have to imagine because the text tells us. It says they were terrified. The Greek literally says that they had phobon megan. You know, megon. Um, Megaphobia is another way to put it. Great fear. They were terrified. But the angel came not to terrify. That was not the angel's goal, but to share the good news of great joy. Same word, mega there again, joy. You see, the glory that attended this angel did not even compare to the light of heaven that had come to earth, Jesus Christ. This, this piercing light that blinded the, 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 the shepherds as they sat there, this glorious being, this angel, did not compare to the glory of the one who is to be revealed from heaven. 
Zechariah called Jesus the sunrise from on high. Jesus described himself in the book of Revelation as the bright morning star. And the Gospel of John, he says, Jesus that is, says, I am the light of the world. And to some degree, to some degree, terror is a reasonable response to this glorious light from heaven. The shepherds were right to be scared. They couldn't help being scared by the angel and that heavenly light that came. And it's not unwarranted for us to be overwhelmed with fear at the prospect of the glorious Son of God coming to earth. There ought to be something absolutely terrifying about that reality. Why? Well, after all, he is the king, the son of David, the Messiah, the one who came and who has come to conquer his enemies. He is the one who it says of him in Psalm 2 that all the kings of the earth would bow before him or perish in his way. Kiss the son lest you perish in the way. Or in Philippians 2, it says that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This, this idea is not that those that love him will bow, but every single knee in heaven and earth and under the earth will bow before this glorious reigning king. In the New Testament, whenever the demons were, were confronted by Jesus, they cowered before him because they understood who he was. It's the Lord of glory. The disciples, remember that scene in the boat? He's asleep. Big storm comes up. They're terrified of this storm. Jesus, what are you doing sleeping? We're going to die. Jesus sits up. Why are you guys afraid? Be still, storm. And all of a sudden, their terror changes. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Friends, the little baby born in a manger is the Lord of glory, the bright morning star, the sunrise, the light of the world that has come in to cast out the darkness. Megaphobia is a reasonable response. As sinners, as rebels, as those who deserve condemnation, who for our sin, apart from God's mercy, are bound for death and all the terrors of hell, megaphobia, the piercing light of the glory of heaven, is an absolutely reasonable response. Except that the angel said, do not be afraid. Do not fear. For I bring you good news of a mega joy. That will be for all people. You see, the light of the world, the king who is born, who is indeed Christ, the Lord, the glorious one, is the Savior. He's the Savior. And he has come to save us from our sins. Don't be afraid. Come and see. That's what the angel says. Come and see. And this is the second... The second response that I want to see here, it's to inquire. The angel says that they will find a sign, the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's an interesting way to put it. Come, go, there's a sign for you. This baby that's wrapped in swaddling clothes 
lying in a manger. You think that the, the angel might just say, Jesus is born. Go, go. He says, there's a sign. It would be a sign for them. Of course, God throughout Scripture often confirms the truthfulness of his words with signs. And here it's no different. They have been given the very word of God through the angel, and the proof is in the pudding, so to speak, right? Here, here's the sign that I'm telling the truth. The Messiah is over there. That's the sign. And so the angel is saying, go, investigate it. Check it out. You'll find it exactly as I have said. There's an interesting allusion here uh, to Isaiah chapter 1. The Lord is, in Isaiah chapter 1, is speaking against the sinfulness of God's people Israel. And he says in 1, chapter 1 of Isaiah, verses 2 and 3, he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and I brought up. And they have rebelled against me. That's the condemnation, right, to the people of Israel. Then he uses this little proverbial uh, couplet. He says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's manger. It's kind of an interesting thing. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. In other words... Rebellious Israel is unlike the ox or the donkey who know where to go for food and sustenance to their master's manger. Now here in a twist, the angel is saying to the shepherds, go to the manger. Go find the Lord. Find your master and be fed. This is the charge to all who would find salvation. To go and seek the Lord, to inquire about him, to find him, to learn of his ways, to feed on his word. And the question is for us, for you and for me, what is our response to the invitation to come and seek the Lord and find him? Are you hungry for the master's food like the donkey and the ox in Isaiah 1? Or are you like Israel of old who don't know, don't understand, don't care, who rebel against the Lord? The angel of the Lord is inviting these shepherds to go and investigate and see that the Lord is good. He's true. And there they will find a sign that what the angel proclaims, that is good news of great joy for all people, that it's at hand. And so the shepherds go. They all encourage one another to go. Did you notice that? After the the angels depart, and we'll come back to the angels. I know that's the best part of the whole thing, but we'll come back to it. But after the angels depart, they all say, yeah, we're going. They encourage each other. Yeah, let's go. It wasn't one dragging the other. It was all of them mutually encouraging one another to go and to to inquire. Friends, seek and inquire. Pursue the Lord. Find him. Know him. He is our Lord and Savior. Encourage others to do the same. But then quickly, they turn from seeking and inquiring to going and tell. You notice in the text, I don't know about you, but when I get a gift that I love for Christmas, I want to share it. I want everyone to see it, and I want everyone to know about it. It's the way of delighting in a gift, isn't it? It's the way we delight in a gift. Well, it's no different for these shepherds. They can't help themselves. 
It's only a single verse here in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. It's an interesting that the text says, when they saw it. Right? Well, they went and saw a baby. Unless you don't know the sex, which sometimes happens when you go and visit babies, stay in the hospital and you forget. Is it a boy or a girl? Uh, so what is its name? You might say that. It's a little awkward though, right? It, why does it say when they saw it? But I think here, the writer, Luke, is referring to the whole thing. The sign in all its parts, the baby. Wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They were saying the word of God was true. It was just as the angel had said. The Messiah had indeed come. Salvation was at hand. All of it. Not just that this was a baby. Come see Jesus, yes. But all of it. The words of the living God have come true. And as soon as reality dawned on these shepherds, they went and told everyone that they could. The word here for made known in the ESV, I think it's probably an okay translation, but the better translation might be made known broadly, or even better in the NIV says they spread the word. Right? They went out and they spread the word. Uh, and they went out and said things like, have you heard the news? Have I got a story for you? Come and see. You'll never believe this. I got to tell you this. This is what we do when we have something we just can't bear to keep to ourselves. And the question is, how can we keep the good news of Jesus to ourselves? Good news of great joy for me. Good news of great joy for my friends. Good news of great joy for whom? All people. All people. Friends, is this something that just comes out of you? Like a child sharing every detail of his new Christmas present? Or do you treat it like that sweater from great Aunt Irma? Which is it? How beautiful are the feet of him or her who brings good news. You have beautiful feet. Go tell it on the mountain. Jesus Christ is born. Well, they tell the people and the people wonder. This is the next response of the news of the birth of Jesus. They wonder. The text says, on all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Now, we aren't given any more information with regards to who these people were or to what their ultimate response was. Um, the word isn't negative. It doesn't carry the sense. It carries with it that sense of awe. It doesn't carry with it any sort of negativity. It carries with it amazement. And who knows? Maybe others, after hearing the good news, came and visited the child and worshipped before the feet of Jesus. We, don't, we aren't told any of those things. We know the wise men came and they bowed down. But other than that, we're just not told. We know from the rest of the gospel story that eventually crowds would follow him and be amazed by his miracles and at his teaching as he taught with authority. But we also know that the people are fickle, that their wonder turns to anger. We know that their cries of Hosanna 
turn to cries of crucifying. And many of the new shiny toys that we get for Christmas, what happens to them? They turn into dusty, untouched toys that go thrown in the garbage bin eventually. That happens. If you are here this morning and you are seeking and you're at that stage of wonder at the things that are being said this morning or that you've heard, I just want to warn you, there is a danger that once it no longer tickles your fancy, once it actually demands an allegiance of you, says, come, follow me as Lord, lose your own life, you will be tempted to cast it aside like that old Christmas toy. Friend, if if you're there, I want to encourage you. Don't stop seeking. But come and taste and see that the Lord is good. He offers you a salvation from your sins, freedom from the burdens of guilt and shame. And yes, he does call you to follow him, but his burden, his light, and his yoke is easy. Believer, even in my own faith, I have found it hard to maintain the joy and wonder and awe at the gift of Jesus. Maybe you're like me in that. At times you find yourself ho-humming. When I don't seek him to know him. When worship is empty, when I don't regularly feed on his word, when I don't see that he has come to set me free from sin and death, when I don't sit in wonder and amazement at, at the glories of the gospel that somebody, that the Lord of glory would die for my sins, when I don't rest in thinking on those things, friends, it becomes ho-hum. It's good to wonder. But let's treasure. And that's what we see with Mary, isn't it? Mary, she treasures this. We don't know much beyond the initial wonderment of the people, but we know quite a bit about Mary's response to the gift. The text says that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds report of the angels was just one more jewel in the treasure trove of the birth of Jesus for for Mary, right? Like, she is already wondering at everything in amazement, and then all of a sudden these scruffy shepherds come, and they say, I've got a story for you, Mary. You will not believe. So one more jewel in that that treasure. The, The shepherds report of the angels must have been something else. Of course, we have Mary's song, right? That glorious response to the grace of God to her. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, for Mary, it was no bare intellectual wonder or exercise. She treasured it in her heart. She pondered it. In other words, she was like a jeweler pouring over every facet of a diamond, looking at every refraction of light and how it dazzled and sparkled. 
So it was for Mary as she thought about the gift of a son, as she thought about the birth of John the Baptist and her interaction with Elizabeth, as she thought about her meeting with the angel, and as she thought about the faithfulness of her husband Joseph. And as she contemplated the wondrous announcement of the shepherds, and as she stared in the face of her son, the Lord of glory, she pondered and treasured this gift in her heart. What about you? As we come to the conclusion of Christmas, we can think, well, it's done for another year. Maybe we'll revisit this at Easter. Maybe again next Christmas. Friends, let's treasure this in our hearts. Let it be something we mull over daily. The wonder of the gift of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, all of these responses really are part of one bigger thing, and that is worship. One big response of worship. They're all sort of part and parcel to that. After everything that had happened, the shepherds head back to their sheep, right? But they're forever changed. They're no longer just shepherds in the hills of Bethlehem. They are shepherds who have seen the glory of the one and only in Bethlehem. And as they go back, they return glorifying God and praising him for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Of course, The reality is they learned from the best of the best how to sing praises to God. How to sing a song of glory and praise. For even the angels couldn't help themselves but worship. The very host of heaven, the army of the Lord of glory had come down to earth and sung the praise and glory of God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among them, among those whom he is pleased, with whom he is pleased. You can't help but imagine the shepherds as they're coming back to their sheep and they're singing praise and glorifying God and maybe they're singing these words uh, that the angels had sung and they must have laughed as they thought about their voices compared to the angelic host. Who knows what it sounded like? But it must have been absolutely astounding. And as they sang, they probably laughed with joy at the contrast. The wonder of it all. And yet they sang out. Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. There are such powerful words. Because it's the words of the gospel. Well, with whom is he pleased? And the shepherds probably thought about that. Is he pleased with me? Well, he is. He is pleased with you. He came down from heaven for you. You see... The whole story is God making peace with those with whom he was very unpleased, with those with whom he had wrath and anger towards because of sin, because of their rebellion, because of their their wickedness. And yet he broke through that sin and death. He came into the darkness as the light of the world and he, he pierced it 
And he scattered the darkness. And he said, peace. I bring you peace. The Lord of glory was pleased with those shepherds and he was pleased with Mary and he was pleased with Zechariah and he was pleased with all those whom he died for because of Jesus. He was pleased with them because Jesus bore the curse and the wrath of God for our sin. He was pleased with them because Jesus died for you and me. Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. All praise and glory be to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you.